from KGW News, this is Straight Talk with Laurel Porter. Hello and welcome to Straight Talk. I'm Laurel Porter. It's go time for voters. Ballots are out and election day is just two weeks from Tuesday, November 8th. Top of the ballot for Oregonians, the race for governor. A three-way contest between Democrat Tina Kotek, Republican Christine Drazen, and unaffiliated candidate Betsy Johnson. This week, KGW partnered with the Oregonian for the final debate for Oregon governor before the election. Each candidate hoping to sway undecided voters. I join my colleague David Mulko and the Oregonian's Hillary Bowrood asking the candidates a range of questions. In this episode of Straight Talk, we'll bring you excerpts from the hour-long debate. We begin with our question about homelessness. There are an estimated 15,000 people across the state of Oregon who are homeless. Thousands of them are here in Portland. Mayor Wheeler is expected to announce a plan soon that would ban all unsanctioned camps across the city and instead ask the county to set up three massive sanctioned camps, campuses of 500 people or so. Do you agree with that plan? Is that the way to go? And what would you do as governor to get the next 1,000 people off the streets? And we begin with Tina Kotek. Homelessness is a crisis in every part of our state. And as we're specifically talking about Portland, from what I understand of Mayor Wheeler's plan, I think he's headed in the right direction. But I'll be honest, Mayor Wheeler and the city have promised a lot of things. They need to actually make it happen. I think it is important to make it easier for outreach teams and folks who are providing services to connect with people who are camping outside. And I think this will facilitate. But it has to be done right, it has to be done effectively. And honestly, as governor, I'm gonna make sure it does happen. Holding the mayor and the city accountable to getting people off the streets, connecting people with services. As the Oregonian has noted in their endorsement of me on Sunday, I'm the only one with a comprehensive plan at this moment to help people leave homelessness, get into shelter, and get into permanent housing. And I will be working with the city, with the county here in the Portland area to make sure we can meet those goals. And David, I think you wanted to mention something about that endorsement that Tina mentioned from the Oregonian. Yeah, absolutely. We should note that the newsroom and the editorial board of the Oregonian are independent. Also, KGW, KGW News will not endorse a candidate in this race or any other race during this election cycle. Thanks, Laurel. And, and Ms. Drazen, how would you answer that question? Do you agree with the mayor's plan and what would you do to get the next thousand people off the streets? Yeah, I appreciate uh, the mayor of Portland stepping into this very difficult issue and making a plan. It's time for action. And for far too long, the leaders in our state capitol have made the decision to set this issue aside and put other priorities first. As governor, I have committed to declare a homelessness state of emergency on day one not to simply look at this like it is a faceless mass of people, but to instead approach this issue like it's the humanitarian crisis that it is. We have got to recognize that the people that are living on the streets have extended needs beyond simply housing, and giving people a key to a tiny house is not going to solve all these problems. We've got to recognize the complexity of this challenge. It's a humanitarian challenge, and ensure that homelessness is rare and temporary, and we do not accept that it will remain permanent and chronic in our state. But how do you get a thousand people off 
the streets? How, what would you do specifically? The answer to this question is quite simple, actually. You have to know who they are. And right now, when we look at home engagement with our homeless populations in Oregon, we know that the response is almost entirely housing first. That the challenges and the problems of the people living on our street, that they're not approaching it like it's a case management challenge. That we're moving people beyond being houseless and unsheltered into supportive housing, into services, and then on to stability and the dignity of work. You have to know who they are. And frankly, if people decline services, if they're choosing a homeless lifestyle because they're facing substance use disorder or in fact it's a choice that they're making, it's time for our state to recognize there must be accountability. And Betsy Johnson, do you agree with Mayor Wheeler and what would you do next? Thank you very much. I, I uh, applaud the mayor for taking decisive action. Uh, unfortunately, he's waited too long, but I will have his back. The thing that I find uh, ironic, ironic about this is that as soon as Mayor Wheeler announced his plan, the first thing that happened was criticism from the county. I think that has been the hallmark of dealing with the homeless problem, that we can't seem to agree on the methodology. Everybody thinks their way is, is the correct way, uh, housing first or deal with the underlying problems. Uh, I, I think that it is imperative that we have metrics to measure our success so that we're not just taking people and moving them from one smaller encampment. The mayor, uh, I think, spoke to all three of us and said that there are between five and 700 of these kind of spontaneous encampments. We've got to have metrics. But I want to point out, uh, I'm glad Tina's on board with this because it was Tina pushing through a bill that facilitated and enabled sidewalk camping. And um, I, I'm glad that she's now siding with the mayor to try to deal with this. We'll need enforcement in these camps that he has set up, nutrition, enforcement, and, uh, and uh, case management. Tina Kotek, did you want to respond? I would like to respond because the city has the ability right now to enforce time, place, and manner to move tents off of city sidewalks that are unsafe and unhealthy. And they're doing that, and I support that they need to do more of that. And... Senator Johnson knows that that's not what that legislation did, but I do want to speak to Representative Drazen's comments. Nearly three years ago, I called for a homelessness state of emergency here in our state, coming into the 2020 session. Governor Brown did nothing, and what's worse, Representative Drazen walked her Republican colleagues off the job and $120 million in funding that could have gone to shelters, new affordable housing construction, and siting our shelters faster didn't happen. We lost momentum. I will lead where Governor Brown couldn't or wouldn't on this issue, and Representative Drazen's record on this is one of failure. Well, let me give uh, Representative Drazen, uh, Christine Drazen, a chance, but quickly. Yeah. yeah, of course. No, thank you for this. Uh, the assertion that the Speaker of the House that's had responsibility for this challenge for over a decade uh, would hand responsibility to the House Republican leader uh, you know, it's a little bit flattering, but it's really, really, really off base. Uh, the reality of the situation is that the Speaker of the House prioritized almost everything before she prioritized homelessness, and the opportunity to address this issue has been on her plate for a very long time. She's failed to lead on this issue, and you can't pass it off to Kate Brown, and you certainly can't pass it off to the Republicans. This is the greatest indictment of Tina Kotek's leadership, is how she failed to act on this issue. All right, thank you, Ms. Drazen. I want to get to our next question here in the, in the interest of time here. That was just our first question here, but we're going to go to our first viewer question now. This has to do with substance use treatment and mental health. Let's take a look. Hello, my name is Dr. Andy Mendenhall, and I'm the president and CEO of Central City Concern.
In Oregon, we have long wait times for accessing treatment for substance use or mental health conditions. As governor, can each of you explain what you will do to improve access to behavioral health care services for those who need it most? All right, our thanks to Dr. Mendenhall for that question. I will add on top of that, this is for all candidates, what would you do to encourage or incentivize more people to work in the behavioral health field? Ms. Drazen, we'll begin with you. Yeah, thank you for this. We have deep and substantial workforce challenges in this particular category. I mean, we have them across different fields, certainly nursing, but behavioral health challenges, the workforce issues are real. Uh, we need to do everything that we can to encourage uh, a version of this where we, where we accept licenses from other states, where we incentivize, where we improve reimbursement rates. We have got to throw everything we can at our workforce challenges. But when we're talking about increasing access to services and access to supports, you know, when I talk to people that are in this field, they talk all the time about what they really need is not program change, they need systems change. And that the system, in fact, is heavy-handed and broken. And too often, you've got the Oregon Health Authority demanding a heavy-handed regulatory response when people on the ground know that it is preventing them from actually providing supports and services to the people who need it the most. We have got to recognize that sometimes the state is the problem, and especially when it comes to these challenges, we can resolve this. We can expand workforce, and we certainly can improve access to services. All right, thank you, Ms. Drazen. Ms. Johnson, it's a two-parter access and the workforce. Thank you. We have to recognize that Oregon has the dubious distinction of being 50th in the nation in terms of mental health services. That is a, a shame on our state. Uh, I agree that we may have to look at subsidies. We also have to recognize exacerbating factors. One of them is housing. I've represented in the legislature rural places where it's very difficult to recruit professionals in the healthcare services because there is no housing, or if there is housing, it is exorbitantly expensive. Uh, so we need to understand that while there are aggregations of services in metropolitan areas, the crisis is even worse in rural places, and we need to treat those rural places differently than we treat the urban places. I would also ask us to recognize as Oregonians that by the passage of ballot measure 110, which I did not support, that the pernicious influence of street drugs is driving a mental health crisis and making it even more difficult to recruit people into the field, much less get people into services. And so it's a combination of factors, but housing, drugs, and the paucity of a comprehensive plan are certainly factors. All right, thank you, Ms. Johnson. Ms. Kotek. Dr. Mendenhall, thank you for the question. We know that we're seeing too much hurt and suffering there for people who need mental health and addiction treatment, and we can be doing better at the state. That means as governor, making sure the Oregon Health Authority is accountable for making sure we're showing guidance and leadership with our local providers, making it easy to get the reimbursements, making it clear what is needed on the ground, not having barriers, but yet being a helpful partner to make sure things work. And that, really pertains to workforce, making sure we can get lower caseloads for our uh, workforce who work uh, in mental health and addiction treatment, making sure they're paid better. Those things will help recruit and retain the individuals we need to help Oregonians get better. This is healthcare. And as governor, making sure that everything we have when it comes to healthcare is working to make sure this type of care is available when people need it, when they can afford it. That means making the Oregon Health Plan work better. It means working with employers to make sure their coverage is more comprehensive and paying people better and making it so they can actually help the people they serve. All right, our next question here is about education. It is from KGW viewer Alicia Orton. Let's take a look. Hi, 
I'm an Oregon mother whose child was supposed to start school in 2020. But due to the pandemic, my five-year-old son lost almost half of his kindergarten year to distance learning on a computer. He now joins an entire generation of kids who are academically behind and struggling to catch up. Oregon was one of the very last states to lift lockdown mandates and send our kids back to school. My question to all of the candidates is how will you support teachers who are underfunded, understaffed, and now have this added burden to address of classrooms full of kids who are behind academically? All right, our thanks to Alicia for that question. Ms. Johnson, you'll go first here. The single worst thing we did during, during COVID was to shut kids out of the classroom, enforced shutting them out of the classroom for two years. We're already realizing the academic damage that we did as test scores are coming in and they are appalling. Uh, this continues a, a 10 year slide in academics in the state of Oregon. But we have yet to measure the social emotional damage that we have done to our kids, much less our mental health uh, challenges as a result of this mandatory locked out of the schoolrooms. Um, I would listen very heavily to classroom teachers for guidance on how to rectify this. Uh, unlike uh, Ms. Kotek, who relies very heavily on the unions to change the standards when our kids aren't meeting the standards, I would expect high standards. I would enforce high standards. I voted against the bill that has turned a high school diploma into a functional participation certificate. We have to expect the best, and we need to bolster our classrooms right now to rectify the damage that we did during the two years that children were forced out of the classroom. Ms. Kotek. Thank you for the question, Alicia. I, I do believe we kept students too long from the classroom, and we're, make, we're going to have to be making up for that. Fortunately, we have the billion dollars more per year from the Student Success Act to help our districts be able to make this up. And we need to focus on making sure our students can read by third grade. That will be a focus for me as our next governor, because if you're not reading by third grade, our students are four times more likely not to graduate. And that is simply unacceptable. I'm a strong proponent and was during the recession and will be going forward, uh, I mean, during the pandemic for summer school. Making sure our districts can provide different learning opportunities in the summer to help make up for some of that loss that occurred during the pandemic. Making sure that our students have the supports, those social and emotional supports as well, to be successful. There's a lot of work we can do, but I'm gonna hold districts to high expectations to meet those needs we must serve our students better, and now's the time to step up and do that. Ms. Drazen. You know, Kate Brown and Tina Kotek threw our kids under the bus. Alicia, I am sorry for what your son went through. I know how hard it is to watch your students suffer, and that's what kids across our state were doing during the COVID lockdowns. We had some of the longest lockdowns in the nation, and our kids all suffered. It was hard on teachers, it was hard on families, but worst of all, it was hard on our kids. As governor, I will not shut our schools down. And as a member of the legislature, I proposed legislation to fully fund schools at the requested amount because I knew how hard it was gonna be on the other side of COVID to provide all the learning supports, all the interventions, all the additional classroom time that would be needed to fully support our kids and get them back on track after we got on the other side of COVID. But just to be clear, Tina Kotek just lectured all, in us, all of us about being honest with voters. She could not be more dishonest with voters on this issue. We had the opportunity to reopen schools. She voted no. 
All right, Ms. Kotek, I'll give you a chance to respond here to Ms. Drazen's comment that you threw kids alongside the governor under the bus, her words. Well, Christine Drazen threw our students under the bus when she voted against the Student Success Act in 2019. She chose corporate special interests over actually adding billion dollars more per year to our schools. That fortunately we have those resources now to build out from what has occurred during the pandemic. And that is just the truth. Ms. Drazen, do you want to respond? Yes, of course, because what she didn't do was answer the question. What she did do is say that a tax is the answer. She has had 10 years to fully fund schools with growth in our budget we've never seen before. She declined to fully fund schools, placed it on the backs of businesses, imperiled jobs, and still didn't answer the question for why she wasn't committed to holding Kate Brown accountable, and instead held hands with Kate Brown, locked arms with Kate Brown to ensure that our kids were locked out of the classrooms longer than almost anywhere else in the nation. Ms. Kotek, briefly. I sat down and said, during the pandemic, we need to make sure when schools are reopened that those students can have what they need. That's why I fought, frankly, Governor Brown, uh, to make sure we had summer school funding. And that is something I think we need to go uh, have going forward. But you know what? Let's, think, let's not play politics with our kids. I'm tired of the rhetoric on this. We need to serve our students. They need help. And because we passed the Student Success Act, with, which Christine did not support, we have resources to actually make that happen. We have more from the debate after the break. The candidates discuss their stance on using taxpayer money for abortion access and what they'll do to help Oregonians of color feel welcome in our state. We're back in two minutes. Welcome back to Straight Talk, I'm Laurel Porter. We're bringing you portions of the final debate for Oregon Governor, brought to you by KGW and our partners at The Oregonian. Midway through the debate, I asked the candidates about the Confederate flag being displayed in Oregon and how the candidates would make Oregonians of color feel welcome in our state. Oregon has a history of racism, including exclusionary laws, and some people still display Confederate flags, including some Republicans, at the Pendleton Roundup this year. What would you do to help Oregonians of color feel welcome and supported in our state? And the question first goes to Tina Kotek. Now, I recently had a conversation on the campaign trail with individuals, I won't say where, who feel unsafe in their community because of the rise of white supremacy, because blatant racism in their communities. As governor, I will speak out against that at every turn that I can. We want to have a state where everybody can feel welcome and safe. And it's not just enough to have an increased hate crimes hotline at the attorney general's office. I'm glad we have that, but we must enforce the laws on the books that say it is not okay to harass or discriminate against another person because of who they are. And we frankly have work to do in this state. And as governor, I'm going to work hard to make sure we have a state where everyone can feel safe and included. And Ms. Drazen, what would you do to help Oregonians of color feel welcome and supported in our state? Yeah, I condemn racism in all of its forms. Uh, Oregon needs to be a welcoming state for all, for all Oregonians, for everyone. And as governor, I will embrace everyone and be supportive of everyone and certainly would condemn racism in all of its forms. I'd like to just give you a little more detail on the Confederate flag that I mentioned. That was on a vehicle driven by the Umatilla County Republicans at the Pendleton Roundup. And on that vehicle, they had a banner that said they supported you and former President Trump. The Confederate flag is a symbol of 
racial oppression and hatred, especially for black Americans. Do you denounce the display of a Confederate flag anywhere in Oregon by anyone? You know, I am, uh, I was not aware of that. And I absolutely will stand uh, against racism in all forms. And certainly the Confederate flag would not be welcome in any of my campaign events. And Betsy Johnson, what would you do to help Oregonians of color feel safe and welcome and supported? First of all, acknowledge that Oregon has a very troubled history in this area. And um, I would, as governor, uh, uh, decry racism, bigotry, homophobia, uh, or discrimination in any form. I think it is incumbent upon us to teach the good, the bad, and the ugly of our very mixed past on the issue of racism. And I join my two colleagues in saying that uh, we should do everything possible at all levels of government to decry and root out racism, uh, absolutely. Thank you, candidate. I, I have to say, I believe I'm the only one on the record here having actually done something around the Confederate flag when the flag of uh, Mississippi was flying in the circle of flags at the Capitol. I worked to get it taken down because of the Confederate symbolism in that flag. I don't believe the Confederate flag as a symbol of racism should be anywhere in our state. Since the Supreme Court struck down federal abortion rights in June, Oregon is one of a dwindling number of states where patients can still legally get abortions. Do you support spending taxpayer funding to help people from outside Oregon access abortions here in our state? And what if they are victims of rape or if they are preteens? For example, a 10-year-old rape victim from Ohio had to travel to Indiana in order to obtain an abortion. Ms. Drazen, we'll go to you first. Yeah, thank you. I do not support using taxpayer dollars uh, to pay for abortions. Uh, as we have discussed throughout this debate and across the state as I've talked to Oregonians, the challenges facing our state are great. Uh, we have deep and substantial issues where funding is needed to address these concerns. We have a constitutional mandate that we just talked about uh, to, to fully fund our public defenders. I want to fully fund schools. We have a variety of very compelling concerns, including homelessness, behavioral health. I could go on and on. Uh, public funds should not be used to invite people from other states to come into Oregon to, re to receive an abortion. Uh, abortion is legal in Oregon, and as governor, it will remain so and people from other states would be able to come into, into Oregon to receive abortion services. But I do not believe that that's the proper use of taxpayer dollars. Ms. Johnson. Thank you, I am absolutely pro-choice. But I believe that Oregon taxpayers should, uh, that Oregon taxpayer money should be used for healthcare for Oregonians. Uh, as a former Planned Parenthood board member, Planned Parenthood of the Columbia Pacific, I know that Planned Parenthood has provided financial assistance previously and now contributions are up uh, for Planned Parenthood uh, offices throughout the country. And um, I would not use taxpayer money to pay for out-of-state uh, uh, abortions, but rely on Planned Parenthood's past practice of helping financially. Ms. Kotek? The National Republican agenda is to ban abortion. And the world, the entire country has changed since the Dobbs decision that overturned Roe v. Wade. I think it's important, and I believe strongly in making sure People have access to critical health care, and that includes abortion. And I'm the only candidate in this race endorsed by Planned Parenthood Pack of Oregon and Pro-Choice Oregon. Christine Drazen would ban abortion. The fact that she could be governor and, and throw a wrench into the things that we have in place to provide access to health care is a real threat. And there are reasons Planned Parenthood isn't endorsing Betsy Johnson. This is a moment 
for leadership and making sure that people have the care they need. And that might mean using Oregon taxpayer money to help those individuals have the care they need. And I support that because that is the world we live in right now. And this is a time for champions and leadership to make sure in this strange new world we have that people have access to care. Ms. Drazen, I'll go back to you briefly to respond. Yeah, thank you. It gets more and more startling to me the extent to which Tina Kotek will lie to voters. Uh, this issue is not on the ballot. Uh, access to abortion is in Oregon law. Not only that, but we have access to abortion, elective access to abortion up to birth. We're unique in that way. Almost across the nation, only a handful of other states have that. It is not on the ballot. What actually is at risk is Tina Kotek losing power. And to hold on to power, she's clearly willing to say almost anything she can to scare voters and convince them to support her based on issues which are, in fact, complete fabrication. Our thanks to the candidates for joining us. If you'd like to watch the entire debate, you can find it on KGW's YouTube channel or watch it on KGW Plus on Roku or the Fire TV app. And remember, Straight Talk is also available as a podcast. Get it wherever you listen to your podcasts. Search for KGW Straight Talk. Tune in next week. My guests are the candidates in Southwest Washington's 3rd Congressional District, Democrat Marie Glusenkamp-Perez and Republican Joe Kent. We'll see you next week for Straight Talk. Have a great week.